Welcome to Radio Rehab. Here's your host, Dana Keys. Welcome to Radio Rehab. I am your host, Dana, here in studio with producer Shar on a dreary Monday. If you would like to email us, it's Radio Rehab at gotoproductions.com. That's G-O-T-O productions.com. You can call or text 415-496-9511 even when we're not in studio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's at Radio Rehab Dana. You can also go to radio.rehab. And read my blogs. I will have one up uh, shortly after we record this show. And also, you can like subscribe and like and rate us. And that would be really nice and awesome. And tell your friends, as producer Char likes to say. So I hate to like come at you with a kind of heavy topic on Monday. Uh, but today's topic is grief and loss because I went to a memorial service this weekend for uh, a friend of mine. Her 17-year-old son passed away unexpectedly, and it was just really heavy. He was the most amazing kid in the world. It's always like, you know, nobody, it's the bad people don't die. It's always the good ones. It's always like the amazing people that we lose, it seems. And producer Shar and I have talked about that before. Uh, Like, this kid was amazing. He, like you know, went to Nicaragua to teach art to kids who don't have art. He had his own bees. He was a beekeeper. He was into the environment. Like, he learned how to cook vegan. Like, I mean, this kid was just brilliant and a bright spot in everybody's lives. And um, my heart goes out to um, the mom and the family, the brother and sister and the dad who have to cope with this. Because one thing, this is a one thing that I thought was really brilliant is inside the um, program for the memorial, they put a letter and an envelope addressed to the family. And they told us to put in our phones for like a month away, for at least a month away, to um, write the family a letter so that it wouldn't be like their memories of, of their child stop after the memorial and the funeral and everything is done. You know, they want to keep being reminded of him and keep his name alive. Which I totally understand. That's kind of cool. I thought that was really cool. Because it is. It's it's true. It's when things happen. It's just like anything, you know. Something, it's like it just takes a while and then all of a sudden, you know, it, people don't forget. But it feels like. It feels like it to you. I, I know my mom went through this with two husbands. And, you know, I went through it with my dad. It's like, you know, you stop seeing people. You know, my dad was part of you know a band obviously and we always used to see certain people all the time and then you just kind of don't you know it's like people it's not like that they quit calling it's just that they go on with their lives which is what they're supposed to do but it's kind of like losing that person all over again because you don't think about all the little things that um remind you of the person and, and the people who are attached to the person you know whether it had to do with Harley's horses, music, anything that was like quintessentially like my dad, those things right. like stopped happening and, and it was grief and all And those over. people are going and the people that are attached to it are still grieving and they're still going through all of that. And right. I that's funny that you as you're bringing this up it just kind of floods back to me is 
I lost somebody in January. It was my seventh grade teacher. Oh, right. And it was one of those things where, you know, like, yeah, it's fresh and new. And you like, you know, you kind of, you know, Facebook stock is kind of a weird term to use for it. But it's like you kind of want to see what, you know, they're up to and what, like, like, you know, how everybody's doing. And uh, over time, it's been, you know, it's been a few months since mm-hmm. since she passed away and you see her husband who was actually who's actually more of a very quiet like he's m- m- very shy kind of quiet mannered person but all he does is kind of it's almost like therapeutic and for him to just share pictures and songs and oh, stories and yeah. he tags her on all of them so like oh. every you know, like every week you're I'm seeing and uh, hearing stories about her be- and that's because he's in the middle of all of that and you know like she recently like her birthday it would have been her uh, 60th or 61st birthday uh-huh that just recently passed just two or three weeks ago and it was you know like they're you know like they're experiencing all of these things for the first time without her yeah there's christmas uh, birthdays hanukkah you know whatever people right. celebrate everything and and so yeah i guess that's uh I guess it it does show that like for people that are in the middle of it and going through these things and dealing with all of this, yeah, a month down the line or two months down the line and somebody just going, hey, I'm just checking in on you is so, it's it's such a huge, such a small but huge gesture. You know? Yeah, exactly. And I've said to other people I know who like, you know, because be with a disease of addiction, obviously, I, I know a lot of parents who've lost their kids. Because uh, I was friends with those people and they died. But I always tried to stay in touch with the parent and go, hey, if you ever want to call me, you ever want to talk about the person, you know, if you just want to, like, keep their name alive and have a conversation talking about old times, like, mm-hmm. I'm here, I'd love to do that. Because, yeah, it's like we don't get, a, like, the family and the people left behind don't get over it. You know, it's like there's at least I mean, the first year is nothing. The best thing somebody said to me, although I wanted to kill her when she said it, uh, was the night my dad died. She comes up to me. Um, she's a good friend of the family's um, really, really cool woman. But she goes she had just lost her. I think either her mom or her dad. And she goes uh, after one year, it's not going to feel any better. And I remember looking at her like, I'm about to headbutt you, you know, and like what? <laughs> what? You know, and then she goes, after two years, it's barely going to hurt a little less. And then she goes, after that, the pain, you know, starts to reside a little bit. It gets a little better. But for those first two years, everything still feels like a bandage being ripped off. Valentine's Day, everything, all the millions of times that you pick up your phone to call the person and you can't. Was it right? Was it true? Oh, it was so true. So true. And then, you know, compounded by the fact that I was that I decided to start drinking at that time again, it made it so much worse. Like I wasn't even really able to feel my feelings about about my dad dying until uh, I got sober this time. And so that was after like 11 years. I had the most cathartic cry I'd ever had. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is when I was the reason I was drinking is because I felt like my feelings would kill me. I felt like his loss. If I thought about losing him, it would just consume me. And I would die. And it's not, that wasn't really true. And I've watched people in recovery. I have a friend who lost her father. And I've watched how she dealt with it just with the utmost grace, the way that her dad would have wanted her to do it, you know, like the way my dad would have wanted me to do it. And then there's Dana. And then there's me, who I'm like, <laughs> double dirty martini, put it in the bathroom. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, I mean, and I, and I know other, and I know other women in recovery who have had, you know, several years and lost a child. And the reason, the way that we stay sober is by leaning on each other, and and you know, by being there for each other. And you know, because that's another thing I did when when my dad died was I drew, I withdrew, mm-hmm. I completely withdrew, and nobody knew where I was. And if they wanted to be there for me, they couldn't have been. Here's a question for you, F, uh, and you can you can cut me off if you want. Um, when, because I remember when I first met you, mm-hmm. and you were drinking, and I just thought that that was normal. Yeah, because well, <laughs> you didn't know, <laughs> and, and it was it was months shy of after I like I missed meeting Keith probably by about what six months, maybe? something like that. And um, I remember, and then as we became friends, and I got to know you, and you were like, you're like, yeah, I'm an ex heroin addict. Uh, I wouldn't, and you you were basically said the worst thing I could have done was stick a needle back in me because of when he died because that would be like completely disrespecting everything about him right yeah but what you did do was you drank right and but then and so i and for years i always knew that that was kind of like your that's what kind of got you going from putting a needle back into you uh-huh. <laughs> and you going back the back through the heroin uh path how did you feel when you actually did go back on heroin? Well, I remember I, I did heroin to kill myself. So I felt I had written suicide notes. Like, I did that to die, not to get loaded. So I felt <laughs> fine about it because I was It's not di- funny. I'm not laughing. I know. I'm just I like, mean, you know. Well, yeah, I didn't. No, yeah, when I finally did, when I finally did picked up heroin after all those years of drinking and all that, uh, it had been, I think, 10 and a half, almost 11 years since I had done heroin. And I know people who, if they quit for 60 days and do it, they overdose and die. That's it. So I really did it with the intention. We might have talked. I I know you and I have had this conversation off the air for sure. I don't know if we talked about it on there. We probably have. I don't know. But but yeah, but I mean. But yeah, I I do remember you telling me that you were like, yeah, if I'm ever going to pick that needle up again. Yeah, I know. That's what I always said. I can't dance with that drug. If I ever pick it up again, it's to die. And I had just gotten to the point where I was so sad and depressed and I felt like I lost everything that, I mean, I spent two weeks writing letters to everybody I know, absolving them of any guilt. You know, I mean, I felt like that was the least I could do is to let everybody know there's nothing you could possibly have said at all. I don't want to be here. Because and during that time, that was when, yeah, that was the lost years. Those were the lost Those years. The lost, oh, yeah, yeah. The, the lost years. years. Yeah, I wasn't talking to anybody. Yeah, the lost years of, and if you're new to the program, there was a point where... Dana and I didn't talk for three years. What when we used to talk all the time? Oh yeah, and like you know, every other hour. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and when I'm gone, you know. <laughs> and yeah, you disappeared on me and pretty much everybody else. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, I and so I didn't. I hadn't. I didn't even know that that's what you. I just knew that you were in a bad place. I didn't know that that's. Oh what yeah, the bad place it was, was like I'm trying to die and it didn't work. And then I'm like. Well, great. Now what do I do? Because then I was kind of stuck there. I mean, like like my heroin relapse really didn't last for very long, considering, I mean, because it, it, I know, like I said, I cannot dance with that drug. There's not enough of it in the world to get me high. I have the, wor- like, highest opiate tolerance. It's just, it's awful. Like, there's nothing. So it's like, I would never in a million years go, I'm going to pick up and get loaded. You know, but it's like, it was the suicide. It was how the long feelings. was it? How long was that relapse? I think it was maybe about nine months. Okay. Well, it was six months, just the heroin relapse. It's six months. And then that's when I was like, I got I, I to gotta do something about this. So I got on methadone. 
But methadone didn't help me. Methadone, I had a, tri- a triple habit. I was, you know, doing everything. Oh, methadone is the worst. I do not suggest it to anyone. I was like a human zombie. But uh, it was Suboxone that helped me get off get off heroin. That's what that's what really helped. We've had doctors on the show talk it's, about it's Suboxone. It's interesting how, I mean, I know nowadays, like, I mean, nine months is a blink of an eye. But the nine months to me seems like a long time to be on heroin. But you're like, eh. Yeah. I mean, you know, the scary, sad thing was how I just fell back into it. Because I've got two faces. Like, I've got my me face. And then I've got, okay, if I'm going to be out there and be a drug addict, I have a different face on. I have a, there's a different me because I'm talking to people that normally you don't talk to. But you have to be talking to these people because you're in that situation and you're on the streets. You got to get your, you get got to get your fix. It, I mean, it's a whole different world. It just, what scares me is how comfortable I am in that world. That's what scares me is how easy it is for me to be there when I'm nothing like that in my real life and my recovery life, you know, like, but how, when I'm using, it's so comfortable to me. Like, I, I mean, there's, I have crazy thoughts, you know, I'll be driving through the tenderloin. Uh, for those of you who don't know, that's like crack central of San Francisco. And, you know, you could see all the cracked out people and people are talking to themselves and people are selling crack on the streets. And I mean, I've looked at people just sitting there like cracked out of their head, looking insane and going, God, that guy has a great life. <laughs> I mean, and I'm like, oh, my God. You know, I'm like, God, it's so simple for him. What a simple, beautiful life he has where all he has to think about is, you know, drugs. And it's like, I meanwhile, I have to be an adult over here. And, of course, obviously, it's like playing the tape through is really easy to me because it's <laughs> yeah, because that's just painful and horrible. And being an adult and working a program of recovery is actually not that hard. So, it's an, uh, well, I mean. It's a, and yeah, more power to you and to those people out there who have to go through these things and have to be, you know, and struggle with your recovery, you know? Yeah. I mean, to have to have somebody die on top of on top of I'm trying to stay sober anyway. You know, I mean, I guess the best thing that we can think of is how do we if somebody if we lost somebody, how do we honor their life with our lives? How like that's what I'm doing now is right. I'm trying to honor my dad's life. That's my friend who lost her father. I mean, she's way more amazing than I am. She immediately wanted to honor her dad's life and and you know, it hasn't gone down a bad path. She's just handled it in the most beautiful way possible. And I'm like at my friend who lost her son. And it's like, oh, my God, how do you do it? You do it because there's other women who are sober who've lost their son. And they're going to hold you up and carry you through this. But, oh, grief is hard. Grief it's, is a bitch. It actually reminds me of my of one of my favorite TV shows. <laughs> Everything I see, look at my life. My life's a cartoon. Because every TV time you show, every time you talk about something, I was like, oh, it reminds me of one of my TV, my favorite TV shows. <laughs> That's how I relate to Wait, your, 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 because your... I'm a TV show. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, because actually one of my, one of my favorite shows, Nashville, which I haven't oh, told right. you this. I haven't, I haven't seen I, it. Well, I haven't told you this is because you were like the favorite, your favorite person, the, the main character, Connie Britton. She's not my Favorite person? Well, I like no, her. You're your favorite, the not the favorite person, but you said that you liked her oh, from yeah, that the, show. I liked her from American Horror Story. Right. That's what I meant. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Go ahead. You take everything so literally. No, like, I, I don't want anyone thinking I really like someone if I if I only kind of like them. <laughs> it's so, I'm so because important. Because it's a fictional character and an actress know. that nobody knows. And like what I think about anyone even means anything. That's, but, that's typical alcoholic mentality. But, Go ahead. 
and but anyways, no, because the only thing you relate to on Nashville is this character Connie Britton, right? Because I know, and you're, and show. when every time I bring it up, I was like, oh, my favorite show, and you're like, oh, I like that one girl, right? <laughs> that's how that's how the conversation with us always happens. Okay, well, it just so happens that. They actually killed her character this season. Oh. So she she left the show and she they killed her character. And dude, Waterworks for me when that all happened. Like, I don't know. I'm like, I, Waterworks for all of my shows lately. I don't know what my problem is. Well, you watch some sad shows. That's, that's true. But um, anyways, her husband is an alcoholic, like hardcore, uh, you know, like he's recovering and went through a bunch of crap and like even had to have like a kidney transplant and all of that stuff. And, you know, like his sister gave him his kidney and she died in the process. Like, you know, like it's a soap uh-huh. opera, you know, like there's all this kind of drama that comes with it. But she dies and that's a big part of the storyline is him dealing with her dying and him like being strong enough to get through it and everybody's like you know like they've got like they've got two kids and you know like she he has to manage her you know like her career like everything that comes with somebody passing away and they're just like is deacon strong enough to deal with this and like like the sister and are like oh maybe we should take the kids because he's gonna fall apart because he's not strong enough to deal with like he's barely holding on to his sobriety because she's gone. And it's just like, it's I, that's how I relate to it because I'm watching a show that has to deal with it right. as opposed to it like really happening in my life. Well, I'm thinking about, I was thinking about it like it's a real person. I'm like, you can't take someone's kids preemptively. That'll make them ruin everything. But, but we're talking about a fictional show. So. Yeah. And well, the, the, it's a, that's the thing is, just, well, you know, there's a whole bunch of like one's, one's his stepkid, the other one's like his his kid it was really his kid like they're all like oh what's better you know, like whatever it's a soap opera right well i mean that's good that they're showing things like that on tv to 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 put it in people's reality that people actually have to you know people actually think about that stuff people actually have to deal with that stuff like when you're in recovery it's hard it's a whole a whole nother thing but i see people do it all the time you know i mean it's so much better to go through it sober like way better to go through it sober if you have any stories or or Anything you would like to say on the topic of grief or anything else, you can write us. It's Radio Rehab at GoToProductions.com. That's G-O-T-O Productions.com. You can also go to Radio.Rehab and read the blog that I will write on grief. You can call or text 415-496-9511. On Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, it's at Radio Rehab, Dana. Thank you for listening. Keep coming back. Sex and drugs and rock and roll. Is all my brain and body need Sex and drugs and rock and roll